Gina Della from Pella. And let me tell you, 555 is back. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Let us get started. If you are a regular listener, you know that And I believe this is a very consistent position. I am pro-vaccine. I believe people should get the vaccine. I was vaccinated as soon as I was eligible for it. I intend to get the booster as soon as I am eligible for it. All right. So I, I, I believe that. And this is from a perspective of somebody who had COVID in November and has antibodies as well. But I, I believe that ultimately, unless you've got a really good reason for not getting vaccinated, the world would be a better place if you did. Having said that, I oppose the government coming in and mandating vaccines. I do not think that is the role in the case of COVID for the government to do that. I think it is fair for employers, for example, in the context of health insurance to do what Delta Airlines did, which said, all right, if you choose not to get vaccinated, here's what the deal is going to be. If you try not to get vaccinated, you're going to have to pay more in insurance, just like if you are a smoker, you pay more for your insurance. And Delta says if you're not vaccinated, you're going to have to get tested every week, and it might be testing at your expense. I think that that's reasonable. Delta also says if you get sick with COVID and you're off work, we're not going to pay you. It's going to be unpaid leave, whereas if you are vaccinated and you're a breakthrough case, you will continue to be paid. I think those are reasonable things, but it's not saying you must be vaccinated. All right. And I certainly don't think the government should be forcing people to do that. Into the mix now comes Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, as I've said before, I, I, I don't see him as a hero. I don't see him as a villain. I see him as a guy who has a perspective and comes at things from a public health perspective as opposed to maybe a, you know, considering like the entire picture sort of perspective. But but that's okay. I also think he's somebody who is overexposed, and I think he would do himself and would have done himself a service over the course of the last year and a half if he would have realized that every time some radio station or television station or newspaper calls you up, you, you don't have to do an interview because I think that he, he's hurt his credibility by, by bouncing around. And saying stuff which is internally inconsistent, or he'd say one thing on a Sunday and then say something completely different on on a Tuesday. So I thought he hurt his credibility. But again, I appreciate his perspective. Into the whole vaccination mix wades Anthony Fauci yesterday. He's doing another one of these interviews. And the question was, all right, would you support a requirement that people not be allowed to fly? If they are unvaccinated and his response was, I would support that if you want to get on a plane and travel with other people, that you should be vaccinated. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So Dr. Fauci saying he would support a government order saying you could not get on an airplane unless you were, in fact, vaccinated. Now, the way it works now is that in order to fly on a plane, you must wear a mask. All right. So that's that's the rule. You must wear a mask. Now, I am willing to be corrected 
but I don't think I, I do not remember any reports of widespread transmission of COVID coming on airplanes where everybody is wearing masks. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Even from the perspective of somebody who's pro-vaccination, I do not think the government has the right or ha- should, and I, mean, I think it's illegal too, but I don't think the government should be saying, you cannot, you cannot engage in travel unless you are going to choose to be vaccinated. I think the government has every right to say you got to wear a mask, but the government is going to tell you people who, for whatever reason, have decided that they do not want to get the vaccine, and I wish everybody would, but there's people out there. I do not think the government should be telling people we are no longer going to allow you to travel interstate. You're not going to be able to fly if you are not vaccinated. I think that is a dramatic overreach. And before you could even do something like this, you should certainly have compelling evidence suggesting that, okay, people masked on airplanes with the circulation system that they have, do we have a problem with that? Has there been evidence of transmission of COVID where everybody's masked on the airplanes? And my answer is, at least as far as I know, there's little or no evidence of that, which then means that the only reason for requiring the vaccination, it's not to really make people safe in the air. It's simply to force the people who have chosen not to get vaccinated to get vaccinated if they want to travel. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would prefer everybody got vaccinated. All right. I, I think that's the ultimately the way out of the pandemic. I don't think the government should be telling people, though, before you get on, you are not going to be allowed to get on an airplane unless you are vaccinated. And if we're going to say airplane, where, where do we then draw the line? Do we say you can't get on a bus? I mean, is there any real difference? You're not going to be able to get on a bus unless you're vaccinated. You're not going to be able to get on a train unless you're vaccinated. You're not going to be able to get in a taxi unless you are vaccinated. You're not going to be able to get in a subway. I mean, at what point in time do we say to the government, look, you, you, you're taking this too far? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Anthony Fauci coming out yesterday and saying that he would support a government order saying that you would not be allowed to get on an airplane. Masks, no masks, doesn't matter unless you were vaccinated. So let, let's be honest here. This is not about, I think at this point in time, it, it's not about public safety on the airlines because I know of, of no empirical studies suggesting that, that COVID is now passed on airlines. The, the rules are you got to wear masks. I, I don't remember any significant information showing that, that with those mask requirements, airlines are a huge super spreader event. If there is evidence like that, somebody should show it. What this is, in my opinion, is an effort to try to force people who have made the decision, a bad decision in my opinion, but their own decision, not to, you know, not to get vaccinated. 855-616-1620. I think it is grossly illegal. It is big government at its worst, and it's not supported by the science. All right, let's start with Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree with you more. I I think uh, big government is always a bad idea. I I do not believe they have the right to mandate vaccinations for people that want to fly. 
However, I do think that individual businesses, so individual airlines, say United or Spirit or whoever, they have the right to make their own decisions regarding vaccines. Well, I, I, I would... I would agree. There's no question about it. And, and and just like, as I was saying earlier, just like companies nowadays charge you more for your health insurance if you are a smoker. Well, I mean, I, I think they have the, they have every right to, to do that. And I think companies have the right to put in individual vaccine mandates. But that's much different than the government saying you are not able to travel in interstate commerce unless you get vaccinated. And that that's where I think the, the overstepping of the boundaries come. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I, I'm, I I think big government is is a problem, always. <laughs> well, it, no, it, it it is. No, th- thanks for the call. I mean, it it, it just it, it it is, and it's always amazing to me how many people are just willing to be sheep and completely you know give up any sense of, of individual rights. Well, you know that the, the government says we should do this, so so we're we're just going to do this. And people who have a contrary opinion and are willing to take risk. And again, this comes from the perspective of somebody who wishes everybody would get vaccinated. But at the same time, if you're willing to for example, have a COVID test 72 hours before you fly that comes negative, agree to wear your masks, absent any evidence. Where is the science that people are getting on planes under those conditions and are spreading COVID? Now, again, if you're able to show me studies and, and reports that, gee, we've been able to trace, you know, 20 percent of the spread of COVID to people who were on airplanes traveling who had COVID, who passed it on to someone else, and they then got sick, okay, well, well, then maybe you can make an argument. But to my knowledge, there's no evidence of that. This is just government's attempt, regardless of what the numbers are, regardless of whether it's a problem, to try to force people to get vaccinated, even though the vaccinations are not related to the particular situation that they are addressed at. 855-616-1620. Nick in Green Bay. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, Hi. I love listening to you. Thanks. Because you, you crazy talk. I mean, common sense talk. So it, it's so refreshing. Um, I had COVID last month. It was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. My whole family got sick, but we came out of it completely unscathed. The only thing is I had to go get the, the COVID like infusion because I got some underlying health condition mm-hmm. and they suggest it. But the guy next to me really kicked me off because he's like, yeah, he's like, I was in Houston. I knew I felt kind of funky, but he's like, I had traveled anyways. And then when he got here, he got the COVID test and he came up positive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just irresponsible. When I had COVID, I stayed at home. My wife, she went and did the shopping. Anything we need, she wore a mask and, you know, mm-hmm. as fast as possible because we didn't want to put anybody at risk. Mm-hmm. But I think, and like, like you said, I love my country. I fear my government because you know what? It's just they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I thought we country, but I feel like we don't. Well, right. I mean, it's getting. Thanks. You you start to wonder about that. And again, look, I I understand where where some of these rules come from because they are in fact based on science and they're based on numbers and and they can they can trace things back. I mean, it's why look outdoor events as a general rule are not super spreader situations as a general rule. That's why, you know, Milwaukee had its outdoor mask mandate. I I thought that was an overreach because you couldn't really translate that into, gee, this is where there's a huge spread of COVID. Indoor, 
different. I, okay, I understand that. And that was the justification for closing the bars and closing the restaurants and doing all those sorts of things. And, you know, history will decide whether that's an overreaction or not. But in this particular case, there's no numbers that are out there that show that people flying on airplanes, wearing masks as they're required to do, have been spreading COVID among other passengers on the airlines. There's just no evidence of that. And yet you've got now the, the government's leading health officials saying, well, I, I think we should do that. Let's just understand when he says that it's not about making people more safe on airlines. It's about, again, trying to force people to do what the government wants you to do by simply saying, all right, we're just going to take away a, another freedom, the ability to travel. We're going to take that away from you. And I guess the question becomes then, you know, where do you draw the line? Like I say, if you're going to say you can't you can't fly on an airplane unless you're vaccinated, isn't the next step to say you can't get on a bus unless you're vaccinated? The next step to say you can't get on a train unless you're vaccinated. You can't drive a car. You can't go outside your home. I mean, that's where we are going with this without any empirical evidence to support this. And that's where I think the issue comes. And it's one of the reasons why I think Dr. Fauci would do well, given all the controversies about this and given the fact that people who are unvaccinated right now are in many respects, I think, digging in their heels even more. He'd do well to shut up about stuff and not opine about things and give these sort of opinions that creates all this controversy. Because I think even Joe Biden and the Biden administration, which would love to come out with an order saying everybody's got to get vaccinated, period, I think they recognize that there are legal limitations to this. And candidly, I don't think Fauci helps the cause by just kind of shooting off his mouth on things like this without, again, having an underlying basis of scientific evidence saying, oh, we've determined that there's a lot of spread of, of COVID among masked people going on airplanes. But of course, you can't do that because, first of all, I doubt there's any of that evidence there. Secondly, that would then undercut all the arguments that you're trying to make for having people continue to wear masks in different sites. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, our senior realtors, Bruce and Gene Nemovitz, do not miss their free webinar. I will be participating as well. It's coming up next week, Tuesday, September 21st at 10 a.m. I'll tell you more about it a little bit later in the program, but um, I'm telling you, they do a great job. Head to brucesteam.com to register for the free webinar with senior realty specialist Bruce and Gene Nemovitz. All right. Uh, you know, it's it's always amazing to me. I don't know. Some of the decisions people make and the fact that they think they can get away with things. This this happened while I was gone last week. Um, Milwaukee Alderman Shantea Lewis. Um, apparently, she, she dropped some of her attorneys. She switched another two. She was charged last week with five criminal cases, including four felonies, for taking more than $20,000 in campaign funds and false travel reimbursements from the city. The complaint says she loosed, used campaign funds to address a flor- attend a Florida worship conference, pay tuition for classes at a Bible college, go on family trips to Georgia and the Wisconsin Dells. She also spent campaign funds on basic personal expenses, expenses 
expenses like cars and credit card bills, vehicle repairs, and rent on a Milwaukee apartment. Now, she is, of course, innocent until proven guilty. But based on my experience, you do not get charged. Political figures do not get charged with this stuff unless the authorities pretty much have the goods on you. In addition, the complaint says she made more than 20 inappropriate ATM cash withdrawals totaling north of $5,500 from her campaign fund between 2016 and 2020. The complaint alleges that she defrauded the city of Milwaukee and her campaign collectively of at least $21,600, a little bit north of that. Again, the the rules are, are sort of really clear for elected officials that when people donate to your campaign, that is not giving you the money yourself. That is campaign funds. And there are specific rules and there's things which you can do with that money. You can't use it for personal expenses. Now, if you have appropriate um, records, you can reimburse payments that you've made. For example, if you're getting, you're buying yard signs and you write a personal check for $2,000 for the yard signs, you with appropriate paperwork and you've got the receipt, you can get reimbursed for that $2,000 that you fronted for the yard signs. There's no problem with that. But you can't, absent records, just say, hey, I'm going to take money out of my campaign fund and I'm going to pay for my rent or I'm going to make my car payment or I'm going to make these mystery withdrawals from my ATM because I need some cash. Generally speaking, and again, she's innocent until proven guilty, but it's you almost want to say, how incredibly stupid can you be to try to do these things? Oh, by the way, did I mention she is one of the announced Democratic candidates running to challenge Ron Johnson for the U.S. Senate? Go figure. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The school year is officially underway, and all kids deserve a space, safe space to reach age-appropriate milestones and overcome developmental challenges. Please join our very own Gene Miller from WTMJ all month to help raise money for a Penfield Children's Center in Milwaukee. To learn more about how you can help and about the mission of Penfield Children's Center, go to WTMJ.com. WTMJ Cares is sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that is all. All right. You know, I think most people would agree that for most kids, remote learning is an inferior option to in-person learning. You know, I, I think it wouldn't be on, for most kids, I think it's a disaster. But, but all right, if you don't want to agree with disaster, for most kids, I think we could say it's an inferior option. That is why there is such pressure on school boards to get the kids back in school. It's why there's such pressure that's brought from parents on school boards to get the kids back in school. And it's why we have these ongoing battles about do you wear masks in the classroom and things like that. But the bottom line to me is you've got to get the kids back to school. All right. The problem, though, is once you open the schools, you still have to figure out, even if the schools are open, how are you going to get the kids there? Right. And one of the untold stories about what is going on is these schools that are open, that they can't get the kids to school because there's little or no transportation. The number of bus drivers, the bus driver shortage is is just unbelievable in this entire region, particularly in the Milwaukee area. There's been a number of stories that are talking about this. Many families are reporting buses being late or never arriving. Sometimes it's it's very unclear when that is going to happen. But part of the problem is people, there just aren't flat out, there are not enough bus drivers. 
people aren't willing to do it. And depending on how you look at it, in you know most of the major bus companies will tell you that you know if, if normally there would be 750 bus drivers, now now they're down to, to 700, maybe down to less. So they've started off offering more money and starting like around 20 bucks an hour for bus drivers, for school bus drivers, sometimes you know, going up to $20, $23 an hour. You have to be 21 to get the job. So th- these are not particularly low-paying jobs necessarily. I mean, they're, they're paying 20-plus bucks an hour, but they can't get people to come out and do it, which brings me to how one state has decided to do this. The governor of Massachusetts, his name is Charlie Baker, is enlisting the National Guard to help transport students to school um, because of the bus driver uh, shortage. 90 National Guard members are going to start training today to assist with school transportation in several uh, cities around Massachusetts. Up to 250 National Guard members will now be on hand to help this out. So you've got a lot of drivers who have resigned because of COVID. You've got other people who have just decided that, you know, they, with especially with the enhanced unemployment benefits that ended this week, that they weren't interested in this. But there's not enough school bus drivers. So you can't get the kids to school if you don't have the drivers. One state is saying, we call up the National Guard. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this an idea that we should consider in Wisconsin? mobilizing the National Guard to say, look, we we can't find enough school bus drivers to get the kids to school, so let's mobilize the Guard, let's train them, and let's have National Guard members drive school buses. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I think it is important to get kids to school, no doubt about that. No question about it. And I understand that there is a problem that you have a disconnect between the number of workers you need for a particular position and the number of people that you have that are willing to do the position. I also feel that being a school bus driver is probably a thankless and very difficult and um, very difficult gig. I, I get all that. At the same time, the National Guard. 855-616-1620. To me, the National Guard is what you call up in times of emergency to help people out, where you have the natural disasters or where you have things like the riots going on in Kenosha. Not for what we're going to do is have you drive school buses. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, this problem is not unique to Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area. It's a nationwide problem, a shortage of school bus drivers. But to give you an idea, MPS, and this is the story I'm looking at, it's from a couple days ago. MPS said there are about 50 school buses short. Um, They say on an average day they're impacting about 400 students from a variety of schools. Their largest transit provider, a company called First Student, is still looking to add 100 drivers. Um, they say about 95% of providers, that's the, the school bus companies, say they've got major driver shortages this year across the nation. Uh, bus companies, um, again, starting starting pay, un, no experience at all, is about 20 bucks an hour. So this this is not, hey, we're trying to get people to drive for 11 bucks. We're going to pay you 20 bucks. They can't get people to fill the jobs. So one state, Massachusetts. Massachusetts is now calling up the National Guard, and they are training National Guard members to do the job. Here's a text to start off our discussion. 
Jeff, absolutely yes. Getting the kids to school is a priority and it is necessary in order to help the workforce increase. So the idea is, yes, we think this is an appropriate role for the National Guard. Call up the National Guard and train them to be school bus drivers. Really? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Marty in Oak Creek. Hi, Marty. Absolutely not. (laughs) No way should we call up our National Guard who is ready at a moment's notice to go rescue people, uh, you know, calm down neighborhoods in a riot. But no way should they be school bus drivers because once they leave their secular job and get called up for a month, there's a shortage where they work. And most employers are happy to endure that for um, safety's sake uh, and, uh, and, and utilizing the National Guard as they should be used. I believe parents are responsible for getting their kids to school. Yeah, I see. I, that, that's the point. I mean, what is the role of, of the National Guard? And I agree with you completely, Marty. It's it's to uh, again things like uh, helping helping law enforcement maintain the the peace in the face of uh, again insurrection, riots, what, whatever. That's a legitimate sort of thing. Showing up at times of natural disasters, the tornado has hit, and you need immediate relief effort. That, that, that's great. But how in the world do you ask people? And you make a great point. M- most of the guards members they're they're, they're part timers. I mean, this is, you know, they, they've got day jobs. We're going to pull them off their day jobs and tell them that they're going to be school bus drivers. <laughs> Who thinks this is a good idea? That's absurd. It's just absurd. Yeah, well, and not not yeah. what what they were trained to do. Right. No, just, right. Thank, and, and not what their role is. No, thanks for the call, which which makes me again, I, I raise these issues. So, so where where is the limit on this? One of my texters says, you know, restaurants can't get enough cooks. You know, should we call out the National Guard to help that out? Well, I, you know, OK, you know, if if gee, you know, we can't find enough sanitation workers, we can't find enough people to drive the garbage trucks and to pick up the garbage cans. Do we call the National Guard out for? Or, you know, that. And somebody says, well, Jeff, kids have to go to school. Some folks don't have other options. Well, okay. <laughs> right. The, the public provides the schools. But, yes, I see. I agree with Marty in general. It The responsibility is on the parent to figure out how to get the kids to school. That, that That's just it. And I understand if you don't have reliable transportation, that becomes a more difficult issue. But that's not to say that we're going to call out the National Guard, for goodness sakes, and have them do it. Now, you know, maybe you have to get creative. Maybe it means, for example, at MPS that um, you, you have to start exploring the idea, of, for example, um, using more of the public transportation system, you know, more more of the county buses or things like that. Or or maybe, again, heaven forbid, it's mom or dad walking the kids to school or dropping the kids off to school and adjusting their schedule. And, yes, it is an inconvenience. But how can you call out the National Guard for these types of situations? At some point in time, doesn't there have to be some degree of, of individual responsibility? I guess the other question, which is one that we talk about from time to time as well, which is, why is there this problem? I mean, what? why can't we find people who are willing to do this job for, for 20 bucks an hour? And I understand whenever I say that, some people say, well, you know, it's a free market sort of thing. Maybe they should pay them 40 or $50 an hour. Then you'd get school bus drivers. Well, you know, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But, but of course, you couldn't afford to do that because the job 
If you paid $40 an hour, that means everybody's taxes would have to increase dramatically. More on that in the next hour of the program. But people's taxes would have to increase dramatically to do that. At some point in time, you got to recognize that, all right, school bus shortages, driver shortages have been with us for a long time. I appreciate it as a problem. I appreciate you have to get the kids to school. But there's only so much school systems can do. And if you can't have people and can't find people that are willing to take those jobs, for example, to to drive the kids to school, it means mom and dad have to move to plan B. And yes, I don't think it's unfair to say that mom and dad should have some responsibility in that. Now, look, I understand that's not the way of the world in 2021. Remember, we're talking about, you know, the Waukesha School Board that just gets ripped um, until they reverse their policy saying, gee, we think the 65% of our student body whose parents can afford to pay for lunch, we think that they should do it. Oh, that's just so terrible. So the idea that we expect parents to do anything anymore with regard to, I don't know, feeding their children or getting their kids to school, I understand that that's kind of this sort of passe old-time idea. Bottom line is, all right, it's a problem. There's not enough drivers who are willing to do that job. Okay, I get that that's a problem, but at some point in time, you can't find enough drivers to drive the school buses. It doesn't become a problem for the National Guard. And if you want to see an exodus from the National Guard, tell people that you sign up for the National Guard and what you're going to do is you're going to become school bus drivers for, I don't know, a year, two years, whatever. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. I know I sound like a broken record on this, but I I come this way but once. And and I just do not hear this issue being discussed in the real world in which we we live in. And I've been watching these numbers. Now, of course, you know, last week, Joe Biden ordered all hospitals, home health care companies, and other medical facilities that receive Medicare or Medicaid, which is pretty much everybody, to mandate that their staffs be vaccinated. All right, I, I get it. So Biden is saying in order to get, if you're going to get federal money, you got to have your staffs vaccinated. All right, and you have, I think, until November 1st to do it. And, you know, many of the, the nursing homes, for example, that are part of health systems, they have the same mandate. Okay, so this is good. You sit in Washington and you're in with the bureaucrats and you've got Anthony Fauci. Well, we're going to mandate it. And I understand why they're doing it. But have these people no connection with the real world? I was just pulling these numbers. The estimates are right now that you have in Wisconsin, um, when you're talking about long-term care, like the assisted living facilities and nursing homes, right now they estimate that nearly one out of every four jobs remains unfilled. So right now, these nursing homes and long-term care facilities are already incredibly understaffed. That is the real world in which we live. Okay, on top of that, let's see, as of the end of August, so my numbers are, you know, a couple weeks old. As of the end of August, they estimated the rate of fully vaccinated nursing home employees was around 60%. So let's look at this. You've, you've got, you've only, you've got already got a 25% vacancy rate. All right. Now you've got 40% 40% of the existing you know, nursing home workers who are unvaccinated. And you're saying that unless you decide to get vaccinated, you're going to be fired. 
All right. Okay, great. Well, a lot of those jobs are not, for example, skilled nursing sort of things. There's people who can, all right, you can, you know, if you're cooking food in the nursing home cafeteria, you can find a job cooking food somewhere else. If you're scrubbing the floors in a nursing home, you can go find a job scrubbing floors somewhere else. That's probably not going to require you to be vaccinated. All right. We are, this is a train wreck. That, it, that we're just kind of watching and we get these government edicts. And I look, I understand. I think it's a good idea for people to get vaccinated. But this is a train wreck that's happening where we say we're going to require, you know, that 30, 40 percent of a workforce be fired. Who is going to take care of the seniors that are living in these facilities? You know, who's going to cook the food? Who's going to change the sheets? What is going to happen in a month or so if if all this happens? I mean, are we going to see nursing homes closing right and left? And does that mean that you're going to start having people, you know, come back with their kids or, or whatever? This Nobody's talking about the real-world consequences of these things, and then it, it's going to happen, and then everybody's going to say, oh, my gosh, we've got a crisis. We don't have enough people to staff these nursing homes, and they're all closing. Well, okay, you should figure that out now. What's going to happen, and who's going to fill these jobs? Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bill said, I, I was telling you earlier, that I took I took my car in just to get serviced early this morning. So I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. home. It's about oh, around 8 o'clock or so, and I'm driving on the freeway north. And just the, there, there's this huge back traffic backup just south of Brown Deer Road. So I, I'm, I'm going northbound. So, I, But I, I'm looking. There, there was a, a it was a woman. So that's, I wasn't implying necessarily that women are to do this. But there was a car that had gone off the road and had to be, oh, I, I don't know, had to be like 30 to 40 yards into into wow. the grassy area. And I'm, I'm like, how do you get that far off the road? It takes and it, some work. It, right. It, well, it, it does because, I mean, and the police have the lane blocked. And there, I saw there's, there's a police officer. And he's there. And he's, he's talking to the woman who's mm-hmm. just kind of sitting there and obviously explaining how you got this far off the road. Because I, I, I have no idea how, how she did it. She must have gone off the road and then decided, I don't know, to try to. Just try to drive through the grass, uh, maybe to hoping it. to get get go up the off ramp or something like that. I, I don't know, but it was just one of those things where, you know, when when you dig a hole, sometimes it's best to stop digging, climb out, and mm-hmm. declare victory. She clearly kept digging. Right. <laughs> like, but it is. I'm just sitting there thinking, how in the world do you get that far? Because it, it wasn't a nobody was hurt. So and and it wasn't a collision, and there weren't other cars. She clearly she just went off the road and, and then just kept driving across the grass and finally i think it just gotten stuck how close was she could she have made it was she no 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 she no no she because she was in she was in the middle like i say she's probably 20 to 30 yards off the road and and no to get the other way was probably another like 40 or 50 yards no (laughs) no no she was she was it's like picture yourself in the middle of a field (laughs) you know what i'm Mm, thinking i'm just what i'd be interesting to be a cop there because you're wondering what this story is because you know what the guy's got to be thinking was how did you get here, and, and why did you think it was a bad? Why did you think it was a good idea to keep driving? And, and the uh, the challenge then for the tow truck driver was to show. Uh, a good up. point. Mm. Yeah, I, right. <laughs> right, because it, it's like all right. I, I assume that this was a little bit, you know, mucky and things like that. It was kind of like, how are you going to get 
this car out of there. For all I know, when I go home at 3 o'clock, that that car might still be there. (laughs) Just wondering. All right, one final thought on on what we were talking about just at the end of the hour, and and, and this is sort of a lead into where we're going next, which is I I understand you you have these things that on paper sound like really, really good ideas. Okay, and and I understand the merit of it. Everybody working in in home health care, in health care, everybody working at nursing homes, we want them to be vaccinated. That, That makes sense to me. I understand that. But then, you know, what do you do if people say no? Well, all right, we're going to we're going to cut off the Medicare and Medicaid payments to the nursing homes if they don't have everybody vaccinated, which effectively means they have to close down because they, they can't operate like that. So so this this is the thing without any regard for what is the real world implication of, of this policy. And I just think it's it's a it's just it's not light at the end of the tunnel. It's a train coming the other way. Because even though I understand the merit of what they're trying to do, what are you going to do when you already have an industry, the nursing home industry, you know, the, the, the long-term care industry, that already they've got a 25% staff shortage in general? And what are you going to do if all of a sudden 40% right now are unvaccinated? Let's, let's say you get 20% of that 40% vaccinated. That's still, you're going to lose another 20%. Who's going to take care of this? Where's the text? Jeff, my wife is an activity supervisor for a nursing home and an assisted living facility. She says they are confident now that they are going to lose 20% of their staff. Um, the contingent plan that they are making, since they are already short, is they are planning to close both buildings and try to move the residents to other facilities. So if, if you've spent all sorts of time, you know, finding a place for grandma and grandpa or mom or dad, and they've been there, you know, just, just, just be prepared that that they might not be able to stay there. Then, of course, the other problem is if this is an industry-wide phenomena, you know, wh- where are you going to move them? You know, if 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 you say, okay, well, we don't have enough people to staff this particular assisted living facility or nursing facility, we're going to move you somewhere else. And, and the other place says, well, we we can't we can't take you know uh, we can't take another hundred residents. We don't have enough people to do it now. I'm just telling you, it, it's it's a train wreck, and nobody wants to talk about the real world consequences of. Of these problems. All right. As we speak about real world, let's talk about taxes. Now, the the Democrats with well, actually, in the Senate, they don't have a majority. It's 50 50 in the Senate, but they've got um, Kamala Harris, who, who will cast votes that the Democrats have decided that they want to launch into the most massive tax and spend program of the last at least 50 years. You probably have to go back to the New Deal to, to do this. And it, it was broken into two forms. One was we, we want an infrastructure bill. And that's pretty much gone through. The infrastructure bill being, all right, we're going to we're going to do roads and, and Internet and things like that. But then the idea that we're going to invent a new thing. We're going to call it human infrastructure. And we want to provide, you know, child care. And we want to provide, you know, um, paid time off for paternity leave and things like that. And, and we, we expect the taxpayers to, to pay for it. We're going to call that infrastructure, except we're going to call it human infrastructure. Well, what it is, it, it's a massive, massive government spending program to try to take money from one group of people and give it to another group of people. That That's just the reality. And you're, we'll call it human infrastructure because that sounds better maybe than just, you know, huge social spending or spending on all the different social programs. All right, but the question then becomes, how do you pay for this? 
this is the idea, and the Wall Street Journal has the story, other places do it as well, um, that $2.2 trillion in tax increases. But the thinking is people won't care because we're, we're only going to, at least on paper, we're only going to stick it to the people that have more money than they should have. So here's the deal. The individual tax rate under this plan is going to go up the top bracket from 37% to 39.6%. Um, but it, it kicks in at $400,000 for individuals and $450,000 for married couples. So this means if you're an upper middle class earner, who's, you know, worked all your life and you finally, you and your spouse have reached a degree of success, you're probably not going to be there forever, but you're going to get hit, you know, by this. Um, it's going to ultimately raise your, your upper tax rate to over 40% because there's also a 1.45% Medicare payroll tax and the 3.8% Obamacare surcharge. All right. If you make more than $5 million, well, look out. There's going to be a three percentage point income tax surcharge. All right, um, if you're a corporation, here's the deal. Corporations would find their top tax rate raising from 21.21% to 26.5%. And by the time you add in the state and local corporate tax levies, this rate would vault the U.S. back to the highest tax rate on corporations in the developed world. Yep, we're going to be... Number one, the higher rate they estimate would soak $540 billion from U.S. corporations. All right. So we're going after this corporate stuff. Now, on the one hand, the argument is, oh, this is great. These 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 rich people. I mean, they they if you're making four hundred thousand dollars, well, you deserve you're not you're not paying your fair share. You deserve to pay more so that we can give it to somebody else. That that's the the whole idea behind this. And those evil corporations, they they make too much money. They, They have just too much money. But of course, anybody, I think, who makes that argument doesn't understand that the fact that that corporations that. Corporations are, are, are sort of the, they're, they're vessels. I mean, what are corporations? Corporations are their employees, they are their shareholders, and they, they are the consumers. All right, so if all of a sudden we say to a corporation, we expect we're going we're gonna to take $500 billion more from you. Where is that money going to come from? Well, yeah, I, I understand the corporation is paying more in tax, but but what's what's going to happen? Okay, well, the, the shareholders, the investors, all the people that have money invested in that corporation in their 401ks or whatever, okay, they're, they're going to take a hit because the earnings are going to go down. The prices that the corporation charges for whatever the product is, they're, they're going to be passed on to the consumers. I mean, right? So the consumers are going to pay for that. And the employees, well, yeah, the employees are going to pay for that, too, because there's going to be less money to give out in the form of salaries. So this idea that we're going to increase these taxes and we're only going to, quote, unquote, soak the the rich or these corporations, to me, it, it just it does not make any sense. And it represents sort of a fundamental misunderstanding of the way the economy works. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There has obviously been a political calculation that increasing taxes can be done without having any sort of blowback at all. Is that true? Should we 
jack up tax rates massively on higher income earners and on corporations. And if we do it, what's going to be the real world consequence? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a minute. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let me read you the last uh, line of a, a text I just got. I think most people who have a kind soul would be happy to pay a slightly higher tax rate. Imagine making $400,000 a year and complaining about your taxes. I, I, and I guess I, I read this stuff, and, and I think there is a certain cluelessness that's out there about how much money people pay in taxes. And, and what, what was this, the study that like over 55% of people at the end of the day end up paying no federal income tax? And, and that's other people that are paying it. One of the big myths out there is that people who are moderately successful, who are, are what I would call high income earners, aren't paying their fair share. And that is an argument made generally by people who have no clue how much somebody, for example, who makes $400,000 a year makes. And, and yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people out there who say, look, it's, it's not that we don't, it's not that we mind paying taxes. It's that we mind paying an unfair share of taxes. But the argument is, well, you, you have more than you end up needing. The other thing when you're talking about raising individual tax rates is you reach a point where people decide it's not worth working to, to do it. For example, let's say you've got, I don't know, somebody who's in sales, for example, and they're, they're at a certain point where if they work a little bit harder, they can, they can sell a little bit more product and they can maybe make $450,000, but that, that extra amount when, when the top bracket kicks in, you know, if they're ended up having to give 40% or more of it back to the government, they say, well, it's just not worth it. And I, I think it's bad for a country to get into a situation where we create a disincentive for people to work as hard as they want and a disincentive for people to earn as much money as they want. And as as far as the, the corporations, I, I think there, there's, again, a fundamental under, misunderstanding of what a corporation is. You can tax the corporation more. Fine. But what what is that? The corporation isn't a... Isn't, isn't a, it's not people. The corporation is the shareholders. The corporation, the employees. The corporation, then you've got the consumers. So yes, if you, if you tax a corporation, say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna collect a lot more money from you for taxes. Well, that means prices are gonna go up because they're gonna charge more. It means shareholder value is going to go down. It means maybe there's not gonna be as much money to pay the employees. It's, Again, this is, let's understand this, it is a massive plan to redistribute income to take it from some people and to give it to other people. And some folks don't like the idea of throwing around the term socialism, but it, if it's not socialism, it, it's getting darn close to that, all for what we call, quote unquote, human infrastructure, which, let's face it, this is the New Deal. This is Lyndon Johnson's great society. This is taking money from one group of people and giving it to another. 855-616-1620. Fred on the West Side. Hi, Fred. Hi, um, Jeff. Uh, got a good topic, a very complex topic. Um, uh, you talked about uh, the corporations and, and uh, disincentives. Um, I, I'm in favor of, of a, of a uh, not not so much as a income tax on the wealthy or an income tax in general. I'm in, more in favor of an in a tax, a capital gains tax on the on the very uh, 
corporations that aren't paying anything because I think what the, the smaller guy sees is that uh, if the corporations like Amazon, you know, and uh, Exxon and, and some of these uh, oil companies uh, and other big companies aren't paying anything, uh, then it's... Uh, then they say, why am I paying a tax? And then you get cheating on taxes, you know. So I'm more for a balance, you mm -hmm. know, in, in the system, in a, re, you know, reorganization of that system. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, that, that, I mean, Fred, that, that's an interesting thing. And I, I mean, I, I am more than open to have a discussion on, on tax fairness and are there things that we could do to more fairly share the, the tax burden. I just think that what's going on right now is there's this incredible misunderstanding and this idea. And I, look, I, I understand. I, I, I mean, I understand everybody that makes $10 more than you make, and not you, Fred, particularly, but I mean, that, that's the idea. Well, tax the rich. Well, well, who are the rich? Well, the rich is the guy that makes $10 more than I do or the gal that makes $10 more than I do. And, and let's let's take that from them and, and then give it to me. I, I understand the, the appeal of that. And, and maybe there are fairer tax systems that you can come up with. But I guess I firmly believe that having the United States going back to having the most, the, the highest corporate tax rate in the, in the world, essentially in the world, does nothing to provide, to create, to give incentive for the corporations to, come, to uh, create jobs. It does nothing for shareholder value. And you might say, well, why do I care about shareholder value? Well, like I say, if you've got money in a 401k plan that you're trying to save for retirement for, you, know, you, you care, you, you want the, the stocks that you have, you want, you want it to go up because you want that nest egg unless we're in a position where we just all want to count on the government taking care of us when we retire. I, I don't know. The Democrats have made this calculation that raising taxes it is going to be a political winner, that you can have this massive increase in tax and, and people won't figure that there's a consequence and that as long as you only increase the taxes on people who are earning more than 400 grand or whatever, that, that everybody will applaud that. Well, all right, j just wait to see what happens if and when that goes into effect. And candidly, I don't think it's the political winner that they do. We'll see how this all bears down because there's at least some moderate Democrats who aren't on board with this massive tax plan. Whether or not they get their arms twisted enough to go along with it, time will tell. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eric Bill said, "Our listeners are going to get me in. Tr our fans are going to get me in trouble with uh, my wife." I, 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, you know, I, I've just I, I've told these stories before. I have this weird fascination with like the big boy statues sure. and things like that. I've told, yeah, yeah. I, and, and actually, a, a number of <laughs> listeners have sent me like like big boy bobbleheads and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I always told the story about how I, I found this on, on eBay. I found this like eight foot tall big boy statue that I wanted to buy. And this is when I was living in Whitefish Bay, and I okay. and and my late wife asked me, well, what are you going to do with it? And I said, oh, I'll, I'll, we'll put it in the front yard. We'll update, up, put up lights on it. And that did not go over. I said, how about moving in the backyard? And no, that didn't work. But I, I, I've, I've always wanted these. So I've been, I've, tracked, I've been tracking them down. I was at Hamburger Fest in Seymour about two years ago. And they had this great, pristine, about four-foot-tall big boy statue. And I, I wanted to buy it. And it was, it was a display. And it freaked out the people in the museum. They said, well, no, it's a display. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> you, you missed the point. They said, well, it's not for sale. I said, no, no, no. Just give me a number, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, and of course, you know, Fran is just looking at me like, oh, my God. And, and she's, she can't quite tell if I'm serious or kidding. And mm -hmm. she would say, are you serious or kidding? I said, 
I don't know exactly. I want him to give me a number. So I, I've still got my <laughs> eye on that one. So, okay, here, here's a, one of our fans just texts in. Jeff, it's not related to what you were talking about, but I'm doing deliveries right now, and look what I came across. It's our text line. And it, it's this really cool, it looks to me like it's about six foot tall. It's a big one of those old big boy statues. It looks like it's in great shape. Six feet tall. There you go. Yeah, Perfect. I would say it looks like it's about six feet tall. Yeah, I mean, I think it would look... Um, I think it would look great on on my front porch. Oh, I like this idea. <laughs> I or in or, especially or maybe, in the Christmas months, you could put lights on I, it. Absolutely, wear a wreath. Right, you know, or or maybe the back patio and stuff. But it's it's kind of like, huh? Now it's not for sale. It's just like this display piece. But as I say, you know, you, you show up, show up where this wherever this is, and just say, hey. What, give me a number, and let's mm-hmm. see where this goes. Now, if I then got a pickup truck and kind of brought it home, like I say, I think I, I think I might be sleeping in the garage. That would be the idea. Look what I got, sweetheart. Well, Eric, I know where I'm going to be October 9th and October 10th. I, I, I put put this in the book. Okay, what's happening? It's Crusher Fest in oh, South Milwaukee. Yes, sir. A, a Crusher Fest. To honor Reggie, the Crusher Lazowski, it's it's back. It was off canceled mm-hmm. last That's year, right. yes. but it, it's going to be back. They've got some big name guests, Eric Bischoff, who ran the the WCW for years and years. He's apparently going to be there signing autographs. They've got all sorts of um, bands that are going to be playing. A Mister Saloon contest is planned for one p.m. on October tenth. All right, Mister Saloon events include cut Crusher trivia, keg holding, throw the drunk. A sausage eating contest and a beer drinking contest. Throw the drunk. I have no idea. You had me at throw. All right, I right, right, <laughs> exactly. And, and hopefully, hopefully they have the throw the drunk contest before the the beer drinking contest. <laughs> I, I just I don't know. Contestants twenty one and older will compete in up to five events, and each round will see eliminations until the contest is down to two opponents who will face off for the championship belts. Huh? Crusher kielbasa will be served. South Milwaukee sausage will be served. Um, I'm telling you, it, it, it's a happening thing. Right. Crusher Fest. Like my, my brother-in-law will probably be there as well. I will see Dave there. I, I, it, it, see, I love these events. I just I love stuff like I grew yeah, up yes, watching all, all. I grew up watching the AWA, you know, and the American Wrestling Association, and I just think it's kind of fun to go back to the roots. Plus, I want to see the Throw the Drunk contest. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what it is. It's just, intriguing. It, it's, it, is. It, is, it is intriguing to me. All right, when we come back, Ryan Braun hangs up his spikes. What is his legacy? We will discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, the recovering attorney in me wonders about the event Throw the Drunk. There's just something about that that sounds like... Well, it's just it's just a lawsuit waiting to happen. But I I, I admit I, I am intrigued by that. So that's it it's it's Crusher Fest coming up in early October. All right. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know I am a huge Brewers fan. I think uh this could be a really special year for the Brewers, just like it was a really special year for the Bucks. And um, I, I was at the World Series in 1982 when they ended up losing to the Cardinals in seven games. And boy, would, wouldn't it be great if they could get back there? And I, I mean, I'm not saying that they're favorites to win the World Series, but I think they have as good a chance this year as as any team does. I mean, I think they're certainly in that top tier, and you you need a couple breaks, and you need things to go right, and you need people to rise up at the right time, but you know, that that's the fun of sports. The announcement today was that uh, Brewers 
legend, and we'll put this in quotation marks, Ryan Braun announced that he was formally retiring. I, I don't know that that's any surprise. Hasn't played, you know, this year. And the last couple of years he played, he had back problems. But the, the legacy of Ryan Braun, he played for the Brewers for 14 years, is, I, I think, checkered at, at best. Um, let's see. What 2007 is, you know, when, when he, he came up to the, the major leagues. And for the first, I'm looking at the first, the, the Braun career is, is really kind of like two phases. It's like 2007 through 2012 when he was a 300-plus hitter in all of those years but but one and clearly was instrumental in helping the Brewers get to the playoffs in 2008-2011. In 2011 is where things kind of started to change for, for Ryan Braun. He tested positive for for steroids and i think people remember this story um in in many cases this was the steroid or steroid era of of baseball and a lot of players were were cheating and that's that's what it was they they were cheating they were you know illegally and enhancing their their uh, abilities by taking steroids um braun decided to handle it differently than other players who got got cheating handled it Braun, instead of simply saying, I got caught, I'm sorry, I was nursing an injury, this was my way of trying to you know, overcome this problem, Braun decided to take the approach that I would describe as, you know, when you're wrong, be strong. And he hired attorneys and went on an aggressive campaign saying that, that he was, in fact, the victim. He wasn't a cheater, and he, he really, I was remembering some of this at the time, you know, he, he went on to to trash the drug collector you know what what they would do is they'd have these you know guys that major league baseball would send out to collect like the urine samples and stuff you know it's not not an attractive sort of job at all well he this is the way somebody described it he and his legal team went after the drug collector um saying that he had waited to deliver the specimens to the lab instead of delivering them right away. They painted him as incompetent, insinuated maybe that he had personally tampered with the urine sample because he was a Cubs fan, all this type of stuff. So this was aggressive. We're, we're fighting. We're going after the collector, et cetera, et cetera. Then what happened in, um, in July of 2013, um, Braun's position that he was a cheating and a liar kind of blew up because back then Major League Baseball was in the middle of this biogenesis investigation and they started getting witnesses and the, the, the witnesses were telling what Braun did and Braun was one of various players that I, I, as I recall the story he you know he, he he had the stuff and it was like in the form of like gummy bears and all and he was supposed to take one uh, and they said oh if you just take one you're not going to get caught but you know he was like eating them like M&Ms and things like that so in any event what once the once the jig was up and once it was very very clear that he was going to be exposed as as a liar he then came forward and said okay you know that all the stuff i said a year and a half ago is, is untrue and, and yes my my initial positive position w- i i really did take the stuff and i did what they said i did before i decided to trash the collector and and go on the offensive about this and so as a result he was suspended for 65 games in 2013 the last half of the season you know and he came back and played the rest of his career his numbers never reached the the pre 
suspension level. He was still certainly an above average Major League Baseball player, but after the suspension, he, he never got back to, you know, where he was in the first several years of his career. Raising a question in a lot of people's minds is that, you know, was, had he been cheating for years? And was that reflected in the numbers? Or was the drop-off that he had, and he was still very, very good, but was the drop-off that he had, was it just a reflection of age and injuries and things like that? And I guess we'll really never know the true answer to that. Um, across baseball, Ryan Braun is not thought of well. I mean, he, he's viewed as a cheater and a liar. And, you know, whenever he would go to these different towns, he would be booed mercilessly. Now, Milwaukee is different. He was viewed, you know, very he, – he's – we are forgiving in Milwaukee. He was, you know, played the entire career with the Brewers, put up great numbers, and was instrumental in a lot of the success of the Brewers. But nevertheless, there is this huge dark cloud which hangs over the career of Ryan Braun, which guarantees he's never going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. That That's not going to happen. But at the same time, he made a lot of contributions to the Brewers team. There's always... You know, you, you like to have redemption. He was active in all sorts of community events over the last several years, been very involved with charitable things and the like. But still, you've got the, this incident, 2011, 2012, 2013, and maybe before, we don't know, that, that hangs over his head. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, how do you feel about Ryan Braun? What, 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 what I mean, the, the legacy is going to be complicated. There, there's no question uh, about it because everything he accomplished is always going to be subject to this big question mark, which is, is it legit? And don't get me wrong. He obviously was a world-class athlete, which is why I think it makes it frustrating for some people that he decided to so aggressively, not just cheat, but then sort of aggressively deny this. And and I, I mean, I remember I, I, I was writing a blog back then, and I remember when he stood up and had that press conference and proclaimed his innocence and went after that collector. I actually said, he's got, this, this guy's got to be telling the truth because you would not be this aggressive and this adamant you if, if you weren't telling the truth. And I mean, shame on me. I believed him. 855-616-1620. What's the legacy of Ryan Blonde? I, I think it, it's complicated, but I'll tell you the truth. Ever since that whole scandal erupted, I was never able to look at Braun the same way. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. The legacy of Ryan Braun. Gene in Janesville. Gene, you're first. Hello. Yeah. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Uh, well, I guess my thoughts have more to to do with why why do you have to bring all of that up uh the guy's retiring he was he was good for the city of milwaukee he was good for the brewers uh why don't you just leave him as due and 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 don't drag him in the mud anymore wait okay because are you serious because you don't like him. Yeah. No, no, no. Are you are you serious? You you don't think the fact that he was cheating, taking performance enhancing drugs, lied about it, and then aggressively went after the, this poor guy who was a collector and pretty much destroyed that guy's reputation? You don't think that's relevant to the the legacy of Ryan Braun? What I don't think is relative is you sit here and you're still trying to ruin his reputation. Well, I don't, you know, I don't know that, Gene. Stokes, I don't know. I, I, Gene, uh, I guess. Mark McGuire, all of those guys, too. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and hey, none of them are in the yeah. hall. Of, Barry Bonds, exactly. Barry Bonds was a cheater. Mark McGuire was a cheater. Uh, yes, and none and of them are getting in the hall of fame. Remember. 
Pardon me? That's right. And, well, and a lot more you can't even remember. Well, well most of the people, though, took people their medicine. People dragging them through. Hey, well, I'm sorry. I, I guess I, th- that's fine. We're, we're talking about the legacy of a player who, candidly, it, it's not just, it, I mean, candidly, I, I think you you got to wonder what, what, what happened. Were, were all these numbers legitimate? Now, maybe you, you don't care if the guy cheated. You don't care if the numbers were, were built up because they were taking steroids. And you don't care that somebody went out and, and knowingly, intentionally, after getting caught red-handed, lied about it and destroyed this poor collector's reputation. Okay, maybe you don't think that that should be part of the legacy and included. Candidly, I, I disagree. Barry Bonds, in my opinion, doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Mark McGuire doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. All these other people that tested positive. But again, the thing that to me distinguishes Braun from a lot of those is instead of when he was caught, just acknowledging that he was caught, apologizing and moving on, he mounted this aggressive campaign to to not just a cover up, but to destroy the reputation of the poor guy that collected the sample. And yes, I I think that reflects on this. Let's talk to Brian in Janesville. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. Uh, Ryan Braun not just cheated, used the drugs, and lied about it, which many others have done, and he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. He should not be remembered for that either. But he went on this, like you say, this huge aggressive campaign to try to destroy this guy's life and career and reputation. That is a huge difference and something we should never forget what he did. And that does reflect on Milwaukee and on the Brewers. And and I got to tell you, I have a sour taste in my mouth from the Brewers from keeping him after all of that as well. Well, I mean, they, I mean, but, he, right. he, right, no, but he signed a long. I mean, see, part of it was they were stuck. He signed a long-term guaranteed contract, and and I, I've always wondered, would they, would it have been the same if the the steroid stuff, if this whole thing had erupted two years before he signed the contract instead of after it? But look, he, he was he was a very very good ball player. The frustrating thing is he probably didn't need to cheat, and he would have still been very very good. But no, that's. That, that's the legacy, and it's not just, again, the steroids. It, it's what happened afterwards. And I admit, that's if it had just been, hey, look, I injured my back. I'm trying to get back. I, I took some shortcuts. I understand. Lots of people were doing that. But it's that other thing, the aggressive. And I I, I wrote a blog. I remember this, saying, oh, he, I, you got to believe Ryan Braun. Nobody would go out and just look people in the eyes and lie like that if, if there wasn't. It, it couldn't be lying. He's got to be telling the truth. And then, you know, once ultimately all the stuff comes out, you find, yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. Joe in New Berlin. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think? This, this subject infuriates me, you know, ever since uh, Ryan Braun got caught red-handed and lied about it and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I was listening early to uh, Matt and Scott Warris and uh, Matt is willing to, Matt Pauly was willing to give him a second chance and forgive and forget. And well, I wonder if he's still willing to do that to Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and all of those other guys that, uh, right. that will never, ever get into the hall of fame and such like that. And it just, anybody that I think cheers for Ryan Braun and booze, those other gentlemen that I mentioned, I think, you know, without sounding too harsh, they're hypocrites. You know, it, uh, what yeah. Brian Braun did to that, that, to that gentleman was atrocious. It was just absolutely ridiculous and, 
Yeah. Um, like I said, it just infuriates me. I, that, well, it, uh, it does to me. Him the credit that he's getting. Well, thank. They, but look, I mean, look, he, he had a he had a very very good career. There, there's no question, and maybe it could have been a great career, but there, there's no question that this is this is tainted. And I, I understand that you know after that, in an effort to sort of rebuild his public image and stuff, he was very very active in the community, and and you know you, you get you get credit for for that. But I I get I, I stand by what I said. It's impossible for me to to look at Ryan Braun and think about Ryan Braun and not and and just not remember you know what went on in 2011 and 2012 and in 2013 and and the way he handled that. Not just taking the stuff. I get that. Other people were doing that. But then this aggressive campaign when he was caught to try to deny it. And, and yeah, people make mistakes, but that wasn't a mistake. That was a conscious decision that was made. And I think that's going to affect his legacy forever. Tomorrow, sunny, pleasant day, a high of 75. Thursday, sunny, a high of 80. Friday, partly cloudy and warm. Slight chance for a storm Friday evening. High of 85 on Friday. Saturday, another warm one. Saturday, partly cloudy, very warm, and a high of 88 degrees. Right now in Madison, it's 68. Green Bay, it's 71. Waukesha, 76. And in Milwaukee, 78. I'm Eric Bilstead, Siding Unlimited, WTMJ News Time, 210. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. That is a big number. Contained in your story, Eric Billstead, that the um, so Tony Evers is saying if you're not fully vaccinated against COVID or you haven't submitted your vaccination status, you have to have weekly testing. Okay, that's that's fine. And then the story, it's unclear how many of the state's 30,000 executive branch agency employees will be tested. That a number of people are also texting 30,000 people, and that's a weird way of referring to it. I, I assume that that's. That, that, that's not government employees. It's people who work just for the state. The state of Wisconsin, state workers. 30,000. Now, uh, see, most workers, there's there's about almost 300,000 people who work for the government in the state of Wisconsin. But most are, of course, on the local level. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the people that pick up the garbage, and it's the you know the, the property tax assessors and the police officers. Those, those are, as a general rule, local employees. So the state... So an executive branch employee would be you know, state patrol and the Department of Corrections and um, the people that work for the State Department of Revenue, mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. But but even so, 30,000, that, that seems like a lot. And it sounds like, at least according to uh, what they're saying, is that 70% of them, as of last week, had already at least received one shot as well. So the right. numbers are high among that group. Uh, but otherwise, weekly COVID tests? Yeah. It's, it's, I, I had two in the um, in the last day. I, I had one before we went to. You, you didn't need one to get out of the country and to get into France, but like the Wednesday before we left, we just both went. Fran and I went over and did it just mm-hmm. because I was feeling fine. But you sure. want to make sure. Yeah. Last thing you want to do is get over get overseas and find out that you've got something, and then to get back into the country, like on the Friday before we came back, you had to have that. So I've had that test twice, and it. it would, would I do it every week now? <laughs> no, I mean, it, 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 I mean it, it's, it's something you had to do, but I wouldn't do that every week. I, I remember having to get it done uh, several weeks in a row when they're, you know, a close contact situation, and each time it got worse. The first time I was like, oh, you know what, not so bad. Second time I started to water a little bit. Third time felt like my brain was being scratched. I, oh. Well, they do it right. It's it's they and and different people have different techniques. <laughs> no, they're, they're, <laughs> you're right. Because it was because actually the. Um, 
the when when we got it before we, we went over, we went to there's a pharmacy across the street sure. from us. Yeah. And you, you call up and you, you made an appointment and and you get you got the results the, the next morning. So like if we had the test, we had the test like Thursday it was like a Wednesday afternoon at four, and by er, that early that next morning we had the test mm-hmm. results mm-hmm. and stuff. Now coming back. They brought in. They, we were on a river cruise, and so on the ship, they brought in a, a pharmacist. Uh, we'll call her, you know, Brunhilda. Okay. And um, and and she did. She tested everybody on the ship and stuff, and, and nobody tested positive. But she had a the she she was German. She had a different technique than the, the gal at the <laughs> Walgreens bet. did. And I was like, oh, <laughs> got, 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 But but that was one of those quick ones. You had the result in ten minutes. You yeah, know, that's cool. You, you that's got cool. The, you got the result in in ten minutes. But it's yeah, that that would be. You know, if you had, that would not be something you'd look for. If you don't look forward to Mondays anyways, going in and getting that COVID <laughs> test every Monday would be a drag. Um, this, uh, th- this, this is, this news is, is very, it's very much of a bummer. And, and if you, if you were around here for any length of time, um, and especially if you lived like in the Waukesha area, the Pewaukee area, you would know Eddie Bauman. Eddie was, um, uh, just, uh, a great guy. He was. I, I'd love. I, I. I don't want to say that he was a close friend of mine. He was. He was a friend. We. We worked together. He was the uh, long-serving police chief in the uh, for for Pewaukee, um, the village of Pewaukee. He joined the village police force in '75. He became the chief in 1984 and uh, served till to 2013. I won't bury the lead. Um, they're just reporting he passed away at the age of 67. Eddie was one of these larger-than-life characters. After he retired, he went down to, to Summerfest. And he worked as like the number two guy in security at Summerfest, but he was um, just a great man, and he was truly beloved in the community, and and did a lot of stuff. And I, I mean, I remember I first met Eddie when I was working in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the early 1980s, and um, he was, you know, he together with the Village of Pewaukee Police Department were, were very active, and we did some cases together. And um, again, just just a real class act, and you know, I, I would say also like a model law enforcement officer, and uh, just a. A really good man, and uh, they're not announcing what the cause of death was. And I, I, I was trying to think. I probably ran into Eddie a couple years back. Uh, I, I'd seen him a couple years, and I, I don't know if he'd been sick long term. I hadn't heard about it, but um, he's just a, a really good man. And if you lived in that area in Waukesha in general, and Pewaukee in particular, the village of you, you know Eddie Bauman. He was just kind of this larger than life character. Passed away right at the age of uh, sixty-seven. He had retired from the department in 2013 and um, he will he will definitely definitely be missed okay when we come back something that happened to me that today that raises sort of this like larger question of where are we going in the future of this industry I will explain we will discuss Jeff Wagner on WTMJ Yeah, that that really is. I remember the fact that uh, former Pewaukee Poli- village of Pewaukee police chief Eddie Bauman passed away. Just a number of people are 
are sending texts remembering them. Uh, here's one. Thanks for mentioning Eddie. Great police chief, great police officer, certainly bigger than life, and one of the nicest guys in law enforcement that I've ever had the honor of working with me. I was a Waukesha County deputy, um, but working with Pewaukee a lot and living in the area. Yes, he will definitely, no question, Eddie will definitely be missed. Okay, do we need brick-and-mortar banks? Now, I, I bring this up because there's a story in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, BMO Harris is closing nine of their Chicago area branches. Now, they have 182, so that's only reducing their footprint by about 5%, but they're starting to close them. I do not know about you, but as I drive around the area, it seems like any time you see new construction, it, it's, it's pretty much – it's either going to be a pharmacy or it's going to be a bank. And I'm just always amazed at all the brick-and-mortar banks that are going up because I don't know anybody who on a regular basis goes into a bank anymore. I mean, I mean, people – I'll give you an example. This morning, on the way into work, I needed to um, – I wanted to get some cash. So, I mean, I'm not going to go into the bank. I, I get in line at the, the drive through at the ATM, and there's one car in front of me, and I'm thinking, okay, this isn't going to take very long. The, the lady – but I, I was kidding her. I was going to – kid around say she must have been trying to open an account but i think what she was doing i think is that she had a bunch of checks on her smartphone and she was she was depositing them so i mean i think that's what she was doing but it it took it probably took about eight minutes. It seemed like it took 25 minutes because I'm going, oh, for goodness sakes, you know, because all, all I want to do is just get some cash out of there. But she was clearly in a normal circumstance. I mean, I think she was depositing checks. You know, what you would do is you would get out of your car, you would go to the bank, you would find the teller, and then you know, you'd give them the checks and the deposit slip and it will all be taken care of. She she was not doing that. She was using her phone and she would to, to deposit all these things, you know, electronically at the ATM, and which which says that there's, you know, you, you can do it. You you don't need to go into these banks anymore. And I, I was just sitting there thinking about, okay, you know, if if she's doing that, and I'm there to get cash. I mean, my guess is most people don't rarely go into banks anymore. The 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 last I'm trying to think over the course of the last couple months, over the last nine months, the the two times I have gone into a bank is one before our trip to Europe. I went in because I needed to. I wanted to get some euros, so because I, I wanted to have some money to, to spend over there. And then um, a number of months back, I needed to make arrangements for wire transfers. So I mean, I had to physically go in and talk to our executive banker and say, okay, this is what I want. This is where the money's got to go. This is where it has to be sent. This is the address. So I, mean, I had to physically go in. But other than that, I I don't. I don't go into banks. Now, sometimes I go to the drive through windows to make deposits. But physically, do I go into banks? No way. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. BMO's getting rid of about 5% of their branches in, in Chicago. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see a lot of banks around here doing, doing that. I, I mean, I see this kind of building spree. But, I mean, do you, do you go into banks anymore? On a regular sort of basis, like I say, I mean, occasionally there'll be a special situation. You need then you need the wire transfer, or I mean, if you're taking out a home equity loan or something like that, I, I get it. But as far as day to day banking, doesn't almost everybody do it via the ATM machine? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. And if so, do we need all these brick and mortar banks? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Well, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not complaining about being in line behind the lady who's conducting all these transactions at the ATM. It's kind of like you go through the drive through window at McDonald's and the person behind in front of you is like ordering the entire menu. I was just more amazed by, I, it was very clear to me that she was depositing check by check by check us, using her phone. And it, it does, to me, it raises this kind of larger issue about what what is the future of, of banking going to be, especially when it comes to these, these brick and mortar stores. Now, you're, you're always going to need a handful of them. I, I mean, I, I get it because there are going to be times when you need to actually physically go in and sit and, and talk to a, a banker. Whether it's a loan application or to open accounts or, or to, although maybe you can even start to do that now over, over the internet. And, but, but at some point in time, you know, all these brick and mortar banks that you see around are, are, you're going to need them. Um, Jeff, I'm 53 years old. I'm not ready to take a picture of a check on my phone to make a deposit. Yes. Yet. And I get it. Yeah. Jeff, I think it's eventually going to go away. You can get a mortgage, check account activity, make deposits all online. And with apps like Venmo, you can transfer funds to family and others all online. Um, you know, yes, um, yeah, that's the, the factor there. Jeff, the only time I ever go into a bank nowadays is to get new check register books. See, and I haven't, I, 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 I mean, I, I just order that. You know, when, it, when it's time, when I need checks, I just simply, you know, send out the thing saying, okay, I, you know, send me the new, send me my new checks. That's kind of how that whole situation works. Uh, at least, I, I, so I don't go into the bank for that anymore. Jeff, I agree. I think it's ridiculous that my credit union is probably building these branches for tax reasons, yet they can't get enough help to answer phone calls. I'm always at hold for at least 30 minutes. I was, uh, had, I had dinner oh, about a month and a half ago with a, a gentleman, a guy who was an executive at, at one of the big area banks. And I was kind of asking about this phenomenon. One of the things he told me, he said, well, he said, in some respects, the, the the when you see these banks going up in many cases it's land that the bank owns and so the, these banks in some effects are, are like billboards he said but you know interestingly enough they're they're not and we're generalizing now but it's not like they're what I would call fully staffed there there might be three or four employees in there as opposed to an enormous number of employees but it's it's just kind of an interesting dynamic and you see all these things going up Jeff I have a safe deposit box at the bank well that would be another example yeah if you have the safety deposit box um, that's there yeah I mean you got to use it but at the same time, somebody just texted me, said, you still use checks? Well, I, I do use checks, but certainly not that many anymore. I mean, most of, and I think a lot of us are in that situation, the vast majority of of the bills that I pay are either money that is automatically deducted out of my checking account, you know, the auto pay things, or um, the, the bills the, the charge is put on, I, I have a credit card. So the charge goes on the credit card account, so I get points. And then, you know, what I do is, you know, once a month when the credit card thing comes due, then I, I just make arrangements to pay it again electronically. I go on my bank account, I log in, I end up doing it that way. So it, it is it is this dynamic that's out there. You see all these brick-and-mortar banks that are there, and I just really do wonder about what the future of this is going to be and are we going to need them as much, you know, in the next few years? And I guess I, 
I, I just my, my answer would be no. And again, just my own personal thing. And and I'm not an early adapter um, or an early adopter. More on that in just a minute. But I but at the same time, I if guys like me are only using the ATMs to get cash, and I know a lot of you are saying, why do you even carry cash? I get that. I'm kind of a dinosaur because I still carry at least some cash on me. That's if if that's the only thing I'm using the bank for, other than the special occasions I'm talking about. You know what about the average type of people. Here's a text. Jeff, I have a cabin up north, and we were up there this past weekend. The Rhinelander News had a story that there are no longer any brick-and-mortar banks in Three Lakes. Apparently, two of them just closed down. Three Lakes is trying to find a new bank to come to their town, but you're definitely right. They're they're closing down, or, or they're certainly not the same. When I went in a week and a half ago on a Saturday... Normally, a Saturday morning, years ago, that the bank would be packed. I, I went in again to get some get some euros for our trip, and there were there was a teller working the drive through. There was a teller working, you know, behind the counter, and there was one loan officer, bank representative, who was, I guess, opening accounts or doing that. But that was it. And that this bank. You know, and there's all these empty desks and things like that. I mean, typically, you would have had, on a busy Saturday morning, you would have had a, at least a half dozen or more employees that were there, and there, there would be lines. There was one lady in when I went in, and then it was me, and there was one person at the drive through I'm just saying, the world is changing. All right, when we come back, Eric Bilstadt, in for the traveling John Mercure. We'll find out what he has on his mind. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.